Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Science and Technology Show. My name is Camille Stewart, and I am your host today. It is with great pleasure that I introduce our guest for today, Joe Fallett, CEO and co-founder of Yambu. Thanks welcome. for having me. So glad you're here today. Thanks. So let's talk about Yambu. It's a really exciting company with a really exciting concept. So tell everybody what it is that you do. Sure. Um, so we are a technology that allows customers at brick-and-mortar stores uh, to be able to pay and receive rewards by fingerprint. Um, and so as silly as it sounds, you could even pay naked. Um, actually, you don't need a wallet, a purse, or a phone. Um, basically, when you come up to a register, uh, you put your finger down and you'll be paying and at the same time receiving rewards. So fingerprint payment plus rewards. That's very cool. And something that most people would love to experience, right? I hate carrying my wallet. I hate, you know, carrying my purse everywhere. And even if I don't mind that on any given day, you're out for a run, you're out for something, you want to make a dash inside a store. So it's a great opportunity to do that. So how are you penetrating the market? Yeah, so we're actually focusing on a few different segments. So fast casual restaurants, coffee shops, uh, nail salons are good, even sit down restaurants. Funny enough is people pay everywhere, right? And so uh, places where this works really well is oftentimes there's a stationary point of sale uh, and you have repeat customers that are coming back. Um, and so interestingly, we actually first and foremost sell Yambu as a rewards platform. Um, and so imagine, for instance, that you're Chipotle or you're a fast casual restaurant. Um, really, one of the problems that you have is how do you get your customers to come back? Right? How do you increase foot traffic to get back in the door? Uh, how do you increase your average ticket? And so one thing that Yambu does is we're a digitized reward system, and it's all automatic. It's all done through your fingerprint. Um, and then in addition to that for merchants, we're actually pairing customer data uh, with transaction data. And so that's very powerful uh, because ultimately a merchant can go onto their uh, merchant.yambu portal. They can see a stack rank of all of their customers from someone who's spend a ton of money with them to someone who hasn't been there and say 60 days, 90 days, could be six months, um, and then market to them. And in addition to that, too, we're also speeding up the line. So one problem that merchants have is, you know, lunchtime rolls around uh, and, you know, maybe uh, you're a poke shop or a sandwich shop and you get a giant line out the door. <laughs> um, and you may not think about it like this, but you know, if you're a woman going into your purse, that can take a while. If you're a man trying to get your wallet out, slide your card, that can take a while. And so with Yambu, you are your means of payment, and all you have to do is bring yourself. And so it's a much faster way to pay. Uh, and then in addition to that, too, uh, we're also enhancing security. And so the fingerprint readers that we deploy, they have liveness detection. It requires a living fingerprint. Uh, and it's a lot harder to commit fraud on a fingerprint, let me tell you, especially a living fingerprint, as opposed to, say, a card. 
So that was actually going to be my next question. I hear all the benefits for the point of sale company. I, I hear lots of like marketing opportunities, engagement opportunities, understanding your customer. But as the customer, my concern is, is my, is my fingerprint or my, is my biometric data in jeopardy? How are you protecting me? That's a great question. Funny enough, actually, very few people ask at point of sale. Most <laughs> I'm sure people, they don't, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing, too, um, where I think now, especially since fingerprint readers are so common on phones, people don't even think about it. It's almost second nature to say, oh, fingerprint, fingerprint payments, rewards. Sure, if that makes my life easier, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> um, so on the security side, the interesting thing is that we actually don't store your fingerprint as in terms of the fingerprint image, uh, and we don't store your card data. Uh, so we're in partnership with a multi-billion dollar payment processor called WorldPay, uh, and so WorldPay serves as our card vault. Um, and so, for instance, imagine that you went on Amazon and you did click to buy. <laughs> when you're clicking to buy something, you're actually accessing what's called your tokenized card data. And so when someone signs up with Yambu, they associate their card with their fingerprint, with their biometrics. So your card data goes over to WorldPay's PCI Level 1 Certified Card Vault, and it's stored over there. Yambu never touches it. Um, then on the fingerprint side, we actually take the image of your fingerprint, we hash it out into a template. So think about it, ones and zeros. Uh, and then we use what's called one-way encryption, which is theoretically irreversible back into an image. So even if we got a subpoena from, say, the FBI, uh, and they said, Yambu, I want Camille's fingerprint. Uh, we'd say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Uh, we'd say, if you brought Camille's living finger and put it down on our reader, we could potentially pull up the account if you had a valid subpoena for that. Uh, and then we could say, okay, you bought you know, two bubble teas and a slice of pizza, um, but we actually don't have the physical image. So as a cybersecurity professional, I'm like, great, right? I don't mm -hmm. have to be worried about that. But also, just as a... As a person who um, values their privacy, values some level of anonymity, by signing up for this, you're not necessarily turning things over. And even on your side, you're keeping yourself out of the melee should the FBI, should the police reach out to you and say, hey, can I get X information about this customer? Uh, you're 100% you're right. Exactly. I mean, it's smart on your part to say, I'm, I'm staying out of this beyond even just the security concerns that any individual person would have. In any yeah, yeah, I'll say for our customers and for our merchants, we care deeply about their security. Right? And really what we want to do is create an awesome rewards experience, an awesome payment experience. I don't want to get into housing data right? that I don't. I have no reason to want to keep a fingerprint image so that I could fulfill that subpoena. Yes. So of no benefit to me. Great. No, that's great. So let's, let's back up a little bit. How did you get here? You don't have a technical background, but you can clearly speak to the tech um, very well, right? Like you've explained this very clearly. Our audience should understand at least at some level what's going on with your technology. How did you decide to start Yambu? How did you meet your co-founder? Tell us how we got here. Sure. Um, so my background is actually, I've done a bit of everything. Uh, graduated from Princeton in 2007, uh, ended up uh, in Mozambique for a year through a program called Princeton in Africa, working in a nonprofit. Very cool. Um, after that, did a master in public policy, if you spoke with me 15 years ago, I'd say I want to lead some nonprofit you know, or some international development organization in Africa. After completing my master in public policy, I actually got involved in government consulting in D.C. 
quite frankly, I enjoyed it. I was working for Grant Thornton, a uh, very good company, uh, but I really wanted a more analytic focus. And so I actually went back to go forward. Um, and so I got a job as an analyst working at J.P. Morgan Chase on the Chase side, um, working in retail banking strategy. Uh, and so I was building financial models, uh, working on investor decks, uh, really working on whatever uh, was the priorities of management at the time. From there, I moved over to Citibank, worked in retail banking strategy as well, focused on uh, basically customers with less than 50,000 deposits and investments with the bank. Um, spent two and a half years there, left as an SVP. Uh, and then I came back to DC actually to get back into consulting, uh, working for a great company called Sensio Consulting Group. Uh, tried to help build an account over at CFPB and work with uh, some higher education institutions and other federal government departments. While I was there, I actually, uh, I should say, discovered the idea for fingerprint payments and rewards. Right. Uh, and so they, they tend to say that entrepreneurs get ideas in one of two ways or sometimes both of those ways. And so one is through a problem in his or her real life uh, or two is through deep industry expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mine was through a bit of both, but actually through more so just a problem that I had. Uh, and so I went out for a run one day, um, didn't have anything on me. I just had my iPod Nano. I was running to the gym, uh, ended at the gym, and so I go to Vita Fitness in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, gyms these days are actually starting to use biometrics as a means of authentication to get in and out of the facility. Uh, and so uh, I was just hungry, wanted to buy a protein shake. I asked the cashier, I said, hey, you know me, can I just pay you later and you know get a, a protein shake? Uh, and he said, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, this type of stuff happens all the time. Uh, scan your fingerprint on the reader as if you're getting in, uh, and then I can look up your account and have you pay. Uh, and so that's when a light bulb sort of went off because at that point, and even though the cashier, quite frankly, probably wasn't supposed to go looking up my card data, uh, which is on file, um, I, I did essentially a naked payment, right? Yeah. I did a payment where I didn't need anything on me. Um, and gyms face this a lot, right? Where the first thing that you do when you go to a gym is you throw everything in a locker uh, or you come there and you just don't have anything on you and maybe you want to buy a bottle of water, you know, maybe you want to get a protein shake or a protein bar. Um, and so I had that problem uh, on that specific day. And so that was in August of 2015. Um, and actually, I was so motivated by uh, the idea of being able to pay biometrically that uh, I created a, uh, a business plan that night and then sort of... Wow. The, you know, the rest is is history. Um. Yeah, I mean, I love that story because I, I talk a lot about accidental entrepreneurship and I feel like that's how it happens for so many, right? Like there are some that set out to create a thing and so many that kind of fall into it kind of along the lines of the two mo- modes you talked about. Um, so that's really cool because it's such a real world problem that most of us have faced in some way, shape or form because even if your gym has the little key tags, you know, it kind of sucks to carry your keys. And like you said, you toss them in a locker by the time you're ready to get on a machine or start a class. Um, So it's super convenient. So you started in 2015, you came up with this idea, and the company has grown leaps and bounds since then. Can you talk about some of the work that it's taken to to grow your company and to make these strategic partnerships that have helped you to penetrate the market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, In 2015, when we actually got started, uh, basically we built a proof of concept with uh, two junior developers. 
Um, and so that was something that was totally unscalable. Uh, it was a Secugen fingerprint reader connected up to a computer, connected up to Stripe, quite frankly, which if we went to market would have been processing money illegally. But that was used to leverage, uh, basically show that we could create something where you could pay biometrically and do it in such a way where the user experience made a lot of sense. Um, and so then about a year later, uh, we got the current management team together. Uh, and so Derek Sanford, who's the technical co-founder, the CTO, honestly, a much smarter guy than I am. He, he's built this whole thing from the ground up. He's built a payment processor before he was CTO at a company called The Gromit, managed a team of 30 developers. Anyhow, long story short, very smart guy. Uh, and we haven't outsourced any of this. We've built this all in-house ourselves. Great. So that was in August of 2016. Um, and then uh, in November of 2016, we got $80,000 in friends and family money on board. Um, a few months later, we were shopping around for different payment processors. Because one thing that we wanted was a very credible source who could essentially settle transactions, right? So when someone pays biometrically, we use their fingerprint as a means of authentication, but then we need to physically transfer the money from the customer's account over to the merchant's account. <laughs> and so to do that, uh, we entered into a strategic partnership agreement uh, with WorldPay. And so WorldPay is a multi-billion dollar processor. They have 170,000 merchants in the United States. Uh, and so then at that point, uh, we really started to have the infrastructure necessary uh, to go to market. Uh, and so we decided on our hardware, and really our hardware, it's all off-the-shelf components. We use a Samsung phone, uh, we use a MagStripe reader that's in there, and we use an FBI-grade fingerprint reader, which are really all very standard pieces of equipment. Uh, and so then in August of this past year, August of 2017, um, we first went to market, uh, and it was at a store called uh, Laid Hawaiian Poke out in Tyson's Corner, uh, great owners, uh, you know, very future focused, really loved the idea of the technology. Uh, and within about two and a half weeks, we had almost a thousand people signed up to pay by fingerprint. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And so we at that time didn't have the reward system bolted in. Um, we knew that we had to make the user experience, the user interface better, spent the better part of about three to five months day in and day out. Uh, making that product better and actually involved myself and Derek and a few other folks literally sitting in store from open to close, um, watching over the product, watching people use it, making constant tweaks to make that experience better and make the code better um, and constantly improve our authentication algorithm. <laughs> then uh, a few few months later, we actually went to Teasing You, uh, which is a bubble tea shop also owned by the same owners as Laid Poke out in Tyson's Corner bolted in our reward system. Um, and then from there, as of about this last uh, December, we've started to sell. Um, and so now we're at 10 stores around Northern Virginia. We're onboarding another five stores. Uh, and on the fundraising side, we've actually raised now $1.2 million. That's exciting. Uh, so we're continuing to raise funds, continuing to grow. Uh, and so now we're really starting to you know, hit the pedal to uh, scale in the area. And actually, our goal for this year is to get to 130 merchants in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. Great. And so after you do D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, are you trying to go national? You're trying to build this out bigger? Is that part of the roadmap? Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, we do want to eventually just put this in a box, brand it, 
you know, sell, uh, basically sell all over the country and quite frankly, eventually all over the world. Yeah, easy to acquire tech. It plugs into existing systems. It's a great model to scale. WERA 96.7 FM is a project of Arlington Independent Media, also known as AIM. Arlington County is threatening to drastically cut its support for AIM. Its new budget would force AIM to make deep cuts to all its programs and services, including WERA. If you enjoy listening to music and talk that's brought to you commercial-free by your friends and neighbors, contact the Arlington County Board now and tell them to restore AIM's funding. Go to arlingtonmedia.org to find out how you can help. So one of the things that I noticed that you talked about that I think is really important to highlight is that, so you've got a government consulting background, a nonprofit, international development, you know, policy type background. You've got a technologist um, on your team, and it seems like you brought together a number of different folks with different backgrounds to come around this issue and build out the, um, build out the strategy for the company and to build out the tech, quite frankly. And one thing that I think people neglect to imagine one reason people neglect to imagine themselves in the tech space is because they don't have a traditional tech background Mm, but tech cyber uh, many of the things that you know evolve around the internet um, benefit from a multitude of different disciplines right Mm -hmm. there is a space Mm -hmm. for a marketing person in tech there's a space for you know a policy professional in tech and the list goes on so can you talk about how your background has kind of enriched what you've done um, and how you took the leap into tech despite not having a technical background? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, I think you're right. I don't think that you have to necessarily be a technologist or a developer in order to get into tech. Um, I think for me, really sort of what started it was when I was in banking, we oftentimes would interface with our technology teams. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether you're in banking or quite frankly, a lot of industries these days, um, tech is a huge component of what you're working on. Every industry, yep. Yep. And so uh, I think through that, I ended up getting used to working with um, folks on the technology side, uh, got, got used to um, writing requirements, for instance, so that I could take uh, business requirements, right, and take that and translate that over to what the technology team used to or would need to do. Um, and in addition, given my strategy background, Right, where I'm looking at what a product needs to be, say, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, <laughs> you need to think about, uh, on the technology side, w- what does that need to look like? Um, and so, you know, I think part of entrepreneurship is just solving an interesting problem, right? A complex problem that's out there. Um, and so I think if you can be that sort of go-between, right, who takes the business requirements and ultimately translates it into a language that technology people can understand, that's a a very valid role. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that there are a lot of positions out there for people who are looking to do that. Um, Because I think, look, an important part of tech is developing the actual technology from the ground up, building it, charting out the user experience and the user interface, and coding every line, right? But if you're not solving a problem that a customer really wants, right? If you're not solving a real-world problem in a way that the customer wants to um, interact with your technology, then no one's going to use it. Um, and so I think that's ultimately my strong suit. I know I can't code. You know, I've never coded a line in my entire life. Right. Um, but I, I think to play on my strengths, I, I understand really the business requirements, and so I help translate that to the tech side. 
So what advice would you give to somebody aspiring to not only be an entrepreneur, but also be an entrepreneur in the tech space? How do you get up to speed? Because that's an important part of it, right? As much as you don't need to become a technologist, you do have to understand enough to be able to speak the language and to translate in a way that's effective and clear. So what advice would you give somebody who's trying to move into that space? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, some of that is really finding a problem or an industry that uh, you want to get into and then just spending a lot of time learning the ins and outs of that industry uh, and what the problems are there. Um, and also understand your strengths, but then also with your weaknesses, uh, at least gain enough knowledge to ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, and I think anyone in business, quite frankly, probably needs to know a few things. They need to know how do you look at a, a P&L, a profit and loss statement, right? Uh, how do you understand revenues and costs and uh, all of the financial components of that. And I'm not a numbers guy, but I think I knew that, uh, especially when I was doing my graduate degree, um, I should go and at least understand, right, from an administrative side, how do I understand the financial side of it? <laughs> Another important component of any company in this day and age is certainly technology. And so I think you want to spend time uh, with technology teams understanding, you know, if they're going to go ahead and develop their code, Right. What do you have to build? What do you have to give them to physically do that? Right. Because it's one thing to build a pretty PowerPoint, but then to change that into a language so that a technology team understands your requirements uh, ultimately to build the product uh, is really important. And I, I honestly don't think that there's some magic bullet to it. I think it's just getting experience um, both in those things that you really want to do. And maybe it is writing those, you know, pretty PowerPoint presentations, but also in those things that uh, ultimately will help you in your career. And so whether that's learning the financials, uh, learning a bit about statistics to understand data analysis, learning data analysis, all of those things, quite frankly, were things that I didn't particularly enjoy, but I knew to be a good entrepreneur, um, ultimately, uh, I would need to understand that. Yeah, and that's really important. I mean, and then a piece of that, too, is, right, the, the impetus to take the leap, right? And, um, you know, the bravery it takes, the, you know, laying down of whatever comforts or, you know, just the security of having a full-time job. And so you guys stepped into this with an agreement, right, on how long you would take and what you would do and how, how's that working out, right? Like how, how did you step decide on that? How did you decide on those timelines? How did you um, wrap your mind around what level of investment you were willing to make to do this? That's uh, a it's uh, a great question. I don't think there's any easy answer there. I think yeah. a lot of people say that to do something really well, uh, you have to dive into it full time. I think that's right, but I think that you need to be smart about when you take that leap. <laughs> and so if you go back to August of 2015, when I originally got the idea, I, I didn't quit my job that day. <laughs> I, you know, worked really with a lot of other people. And we have an amazing team right now, you know, seven full time people you know, who are working day in and day out to make this thing a reality. But going back to that time, um, I really set in motion a, a set of infrastructure which would be needed to make a recipe for success. And so I knew that if we didn't have a good technical founder, we would never get anywhere, right? And so, you know, Derek ultimately came on board, um, you know, shortly after, uh, uh, shortly after I put together the business plan. Uh, and so that was one key component that I knew I needed. <laughs> I knew that just given my risk aversion, 
I wasn't willing to spend a ton of money out of my own pocket, maybe five grand. And I probably spent, you know, maybe that amount of money. Um, and so we went around and got friends and family money uh, to the tune of $80,000 to start. Which is an amazing feat of fundraising. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, it's really, really hard. It's yeah. so, so hard in the beginning. You know, and in the beginning when you don't even have a product, quite frankly, the only people that will invest in you are your friends and family. Yeah. Um, and so we got that money on board. We had, you know, technology side with Derek, business side with me. And then we knew that we needed a payment processor. We knew that we didn't want to, you know, become a payment processor, all sorts of regulations related to that. And so we specifically uh, needed to find one uh, which could work within the confines of our tokenization methodology, our cybersecurity protocols. We had a whole list of business requirements, uh, which it was really important to find a partner um, that could meet those requirements. And yeah. honestly, WorldPay uh, really met that. Um, and so once we got that contract signed, once we got the 80000 on board, uh, I think Derek and I looked at each other, and we always call it a suicide pact, you know, <laughs> where we said, look, I'll go out uh, as the CEO, start raising more money. You build the technology together, you know, we'll, we'll work on um, product. And we had, you know, another product founder in there as well. Um, uh, but let's take the risk now. And so I yeah. think my advice to entrepreneurs in that is, you know, wait at least until you've proven a few things out to yourself, right? And in that time, we ran surveys to prove that there was a market for it. We learned all about the history of fingerprint payments. There's a long history there. Um, and so we got the right contracts in place. And sure, there was a ton of risk, but we knew what our tolerance was. And then, quite frankly, sometimes it's about having that support network, too. So, you know, my wife was fully on board. Derek was fully on board. Um, and so that that infrastructure was in place. That's really important. And I think that, you know, people may not think about that on the upfront. They're scared of taking the risks and, and those things. But those should be calculated risks, right? Like you should build a plan. You should understand what you're stepping into. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yambu is amazing. Um, I can't wait to see your footprint grow. I think this is going to scale really well. And as other organizations identify this opportunity for a new payment method that also incorporates a reward system, they'll be excited to, to sign up. So how can people learn more about you, about Yambu? Um, if they're looking for a new payment system, how can they reach out to you? No, thank you. Yeah. So uh, merchants, if you're interested, please email us, sales at yambu.com. That's sales at yombu.com. You can go to our website, www.yambu.com. Uh, and also feel free to catch us on social media at yambu360. Great. And just one more question before we close out. Of course. How did you come up with Yambu? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um so funny enough, Yambu is an entirely meaningless word. Which is the best kind. <laughs> yep. So we, we really wanted something where we could become our own brand. Uh, we wanted two syllables because we felt that it would be memorable. Uh, we wanted something that sounded sort of techy and could be verbified, so like uh, Google or Venmo. And Yambu did. <laughs> uh, and, and Yambu did, yep. Um, uh, and importantly, if you're ever looking for a name, make sure you do a basic trademark search. Yes, and then please. A, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and find a domain that's available. Um, and so domain was available. It was only 550 bucks. Uh, trademark was available. We actually just got that awarded a few months ago. Congrats. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, no, we're very happy with the name. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I encourage you all to check out Yambu. Um, and thank you for, for 
sitting with us today on Science and Technology Show. Thanks, Camille. No, this was great. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.